I'm Dan Libert. I'm Mike Clemens. Welcome to the Driving Cake Podcast. Let go. Yeah, get to that money pronto. Hey, pronto. Hey. I run my team like pronto. And we're back. Welcome to episode six of the Driving Kick Podcast. I'm one half of your host, Michael Clemens. My other co-host, Dan Libert. What's going on with you, bro? Nothing, bro. Just excited for this episode. Excited to get it popping. I feel that. So today we got a very special guest. Um, our first female to the show, which we thought was important to get it a female in here before season one ended. And she's two-time conference champion, two times national junior college tournament qualifier, freshman all-Western Conference, number three in the country in three-part percentage, attended two different junior colleges. Welcome to the show. The local unsung hero, she goes under the radar, but she she has a very interesting story, and I'm ready for her to share it. So welcome to the show, Maddie Cameron. What's up with you? Man, chilling. How are you guys? Um, Summertime in Lethbridge during COVID, so we're surviving. <laughs> the struggle. <laughs> no, nah, for real. So, for many people, well, let me just give some background. Um, yeah, you're under the radar for the most part. So, I'm very curious to see you kind of, like, tell your coming out story and actually, you know, put your story out there for people to, to learn from and, and to hear from you. So, for, no, for the people that have no idea who Maddie Cameron is, no idea about you, don't know nothing about you hooping, give us a brief overview of your basketball career up until this point. All right. Um, so I'm born and raised Southern Alberta. Uh, went to high school in Lethbridge. Um, from Lethbridge, I, I played at a D2 Juco in Michigan my first year. Played there, had a great experience. Uh, transferred. Actually sat a year out in between my time there. And then I transferred to a D1 Juco, South Georgia Tech. Uh, was there. Um, basically my experience there had a major quad injury. So I kind of, I, I had this realization that I was going to have to give up one dream in order to, to achieve a bigger goal. And so obviously everyone goes Juco to go D1. That's kind of the goal. Um, and I felt like I had to let go of the D1 dream to accomplish the overseas goal, overseas goal. So I ended up coming back to Canada um, I played a year in the OUA and then had a really bad uh, experience there, re-injured and uh, decided to come back to Southern Alberta. And then from there, I sat out the year uh, and now we're kind of here and COVID has kind of messed up the plans. I came back to play um, for the U of L, but uh, no, I'm kind of, basically I'm, Deciding if I'm going to wait out the year, see what happens with COVID. I know college is kind of up in the air with what they're doing with their seasons. Um, or am I just going to leave that and go um, pursue overseas or pursue other things? So I've had a lot of different experiences in between my times at uh, the institutions I've been at. So it's all up in the air for right now. That's fair. So let's take it back a little bit to the beginning because I know Southern Alberta kind of has well, what I've seen, there's a lot of um, history of basketball here, but I know the high school basketball, it's all right, but I've seen better. <laughs> so I want you to kind of talk to, like, how you actually got into basketball and who kind of, like, who put the ball in your hands and then talk about those early days and the AAU moments. We won't really talk about high school because I feel like high school out here isn't, you know, that great, but I, I feel like you had a pretty good travel experience. So talk about the, the early experience with basketball, 
and how AAU and travel ball played a part in your development as a hooper? Yeah. Um, so again, coming from Southern Alberta, and I say Southern Alberta and not Canada because you know, like if you're out east and you're hooping in Toronto, that's a totally different experience than than what it is on the west coast. I feel like I, I feel like the east coast is more hip um, to the style of basketball in America. But so I I didn't start hooping until the eighth grade. I actually have two brothers and uh, they played baseball and football. And so I was a tomboy growing up. I played baseball. That was kind of my first love. And I remember I was like 12 and I was coming home and I would tell my dad like, hey, I got like a crush on such and such from the team. Like, can you come over and play? And my dad was kind of like, uh-uh. Like, it, you know, you need to play a female sport. So he, he was always a big believer in uh, basically he would rather be great at one thing than just be good at a lot of things. So he, was, he sat me down and he was like, you know what, like, let's find something else for you to do. Like, let's, let's try other things. So I remember in grade five, I had tried out for basketball. I didn't make it. Grade six, I tried out. I didn't make it. Grade seven, I tried out. I didn't make it. And uh, he sat me down again and he was like, okay, like, this isn't working for you. So how would you try something else? So I had tried out for like cheerleading, didn't make it. Badminton, didn't make it. Every single event in track and field, like didn't make a single event. And so he sat me down again and he was like, okay, pick one thing, we're gonna work at it. And you're gonna be like, you're gonna give your all and just like work towards being the best at that. So I think no one necessarily put a ball in my hands for me. Like there wasn't anyone specifically who inspired that in the beginning. I think for me, I just decided that I wanted to play basketball because it was the one sport that I continued to keep going back to and people kept denying me. Like I kept getting cut, like first round cut every time. And I was like, like I didn't like it. So I kind of felt like I had to prove to people that like I was able to do it. So uh, I was in the gym from a young age all the time. My dad instilled, I guess my dad would be the person. Like he instilled the work ethic in me. I remember I signed up for uh, a gym membership at the U of L immediately after I made the decision that I was gonna um, play basketball. And I would be there, like, I would beg my parents every day after school, they'd drop me off. I'd go in the gym. I'd be in there for hours. Uh, I would hide under the bleachers when they were closing the U of L because I wanted to just be in there all night and work on my game. And like the security people would call my parents and be like, your daughter's not leaving. Like you need to come get your kid. And so I was just like super determined. Um, and so from there, I actually, AAU isn't really a thing out here like there's club basketball in southern alberta but in terms of like travel ball like in the states i was really fortunate to have an opportunity um my dad travels for business and uh i was in vancouver with him while he was doing some meetings and uh i was with the guy while he was busy and he was kind of like getting to know me or whatever asked what i did if i played any sports and i said i hooped and uh he basically was like uh, I coach on this like AAU team based out of um, like Surrey, Abbotsford, uh, British Columbia area. And so he was like, come to it. He was like, you should come to a practice or whatever. And so I went and they, they I guess they, they liked what they saw. I played really well, had a really good time. And so they ended up um, offering me a spot to play on their programs. So I was my grade 11 year. I played, again, I played club ball. Like I played for like the junior horns team and LMBA. 
uh, and stuff like that out here. But I was flying out my grade 11 year. I was flying out every weekend to practice um, with this AAU team in BC. And uh, that was a super, it was a super neat experience. We, we played in the Nike EYBL circuit. Uh, I was going all over the country. Um, we were playing like North Carolina, Texas, South Carolina. We played at nationals in Las Vegas. Um, and that was, that was super good exposure to me because it was the first time I realized, again, Southern Alberta, to me, in my opinion, is, is a pretty small bubble. And I think people think they got it figured out. And then once you kind of enter into the bigger picture of um, the sports world when it comes to basketball, I was like, oh, okay. So this is like, people know what they're doing. Like people could really hoop out here. And so, yeah, no, it was a neat experience. Um, I did that for my, yeah, my grade 11 year. I had a lot of exposure and things like that. And I think for me, I, like, I was never the athlete. I wasn't uh, the quickest. I wasn't the best player on the team. Um, but I just kind of, in the back of my head, I kind of knew that I was always going to outwork whoever I was playing against, whoever was on my team and stuff like that. I've always been a team player. And so my grade 11 year, I ended up transferring, well, my senior year, actually, I ended up transferring halfway through the school year. And I transferred from, I went to Chinook High School and uh, transferred to a, a little like 3A school, Colehurst, um, just outside of the city. And that's, that's a long story in itself, but uh, went there. And I kind of thought like my, uh, like the, I was just gonna be done. I was just gonna play high school ball. There was a lot of things that kind of went on my high school experience, um, had a lot of setbacks and stuff like that. And so I remember I would sit on a computer I would skip class and I would go into the library and I would sit on a computer and I probably sat and I emailed every single NCAA division one uh, division two NAIA um, school and said hey my name is Maddie Cameron I averaged like 26 points my senior year um, and was just like I have a desire to play at the next level and I got a lot of attention from that like people ask kind of how I ended up like getting recruited and stuff like that. And I advise any, like any athlete, whatever sport it is, like go after it and create an opportunity for yourself. Cause I wasn't going to sit there and wait for someone to come find me. And I knew that if I did that, I wasn't going to get an opportunity. And so like, I, I took a visit to the university of Texas, uh, Pan American, which is actually UT Martin now and got an offer from there. They were a low mid major D one, no one from here thought I could do it. Um, and so I was like, I gotta go, like I'm gonna go D1. And that's kind of what I had worked for or whatever. And so initially growing up, uh, LDS, I don't go to church anymore, but the, the goal was to play for BYU. So when I was younger, I spent every summer going to those BYU camps. I have family in Utah. And uh, that's when I first got introduced to NCAA Division One basketball and what that was all about. And so I had, out of high school, I received a, a half scholarship from them, didn't take it, um, get an offer from Pan American, take a visit and came back, verbally committed, came back and I get a call from this coach and uh, I answer the phone and I'm pretty like, I was pretty arrogant at the time. I was pretty cocky. I felt like 
I deserved everything I was getting. I was kind of mad at the world with everything that kind of went on leading up to me kind of getting the college opportunity. And so I remember I get a call from this coach and he's like, hey, you know, my name's Jason Cooper. I'm the head coach at Lake Michigan College. And in my head, I'm like, Lake Michigan College. He's like, we're a Division II JUCO. And I remember like, JUCO, Division II, what is that? And I hung up the phone. I was like, forget that. Mans calls me back the next day and was like, I swear to God, like, if you, he was like, if you hang up on me again, da, 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 da. He was like, just hear me out. And so uh, I don't even know like how he found me. Like, I don't know, like, and so he, uh, we sat on the phone for like two hours and I told him my story, uh, things that I had gone through and just like a, a bit about myself. And we kind of had similar stories growing up in regards to just like our upbringing into the basketball scene and just like uh, different coaching experiences. And so he was like, I'll fly you out for a week. Like, come, come be out here for a week. Bring your mom. Like, just before you, like, sign anything or do whatever, just come here. And he – I went out there, and he made me believe, like, you know what, you could do um, a lot more than just, like, be a low mid-major player. Like, I, like I believe in you. I believe in, in, like, everything that you're saying to me and stuff like that. And so I went out there, had a, had a great feeling, had a great experience. And I just knew in the back of my head, like, I, like I had to go like I needed to it's not what I wanted to do it wasn't part of the plan I didn't really know what Juco meant at that time um, but he believed in my goals and I believed in him and so I yeah I went and got a rude awakening um, to the to the junior college scene I had no idea uh, how competitive it was I had no idea no idea um, that realistically, like a lot of my teammates, a lot of people that I was playing against were D1 athletes, um, high, high caliber athletes who basically just fell through the cracks, you know, whatever situation, whether it was academics or certain things that went on. And so they were there for a year. They were just one and done. And, and uh, yeah, it was crazy. So. Mm. So you said you were in for a rude awakening. I want to talk about like, what was your goal? Because obviously going to Lake Michigan, it wasn't super part of the plan but it just happened so when you're going into Lake Michigan what's your mindset like I'm gonna stay here am I gonna be one and done I'm gonna stay here too and then leave what's the goal and the mindset going into Lake Michigan so I the mindset uh obviously was D1 like that was still part of the plan I, I realized that I had an opportunity and in my head it was kind of this thing of okay, this isn't a part of my plan. This isn't the path that I'm technically supposed to take that everyone says that you're going to take to get D1, but I'm going to be a person who like creates a new path. Like I'm, I'm going to make this okay. Like this is, this is still a way to get there. And so I remember like the first, pra I was, I was like a 15th man when I got there. And I remember I looked at him and I, I said to coach Coop and I was like, look, I don't know what I have to do. I don't care what I have to do. I want to play division one basketball. I want to be the best. Like, just tell me what I got to do. And I remember we sat and had a really real conversation and he was like, you know what? You're not going to understand a lot of things that you go through. Uh, you're not going to like me. There's going to be more times that you don't like me than you do. Um, but all I'm asking you is as long as you do what I tell you to do um, and you trust me, I guarantee that I'll like, that I'll be able to like, get you an opportunity. And so I was like, okay. And so I went, I was a 14th man again. 
I thought I was pretty good in Southern Alberta until I got to America and I was like, oh shit, apparently I got some work to do because people are like, it's no, it's really no joke. And so uh, I was going out there and I was as, I mean, I was a 17 year old freshman. I was, I was pretty naive again, like growing up here and uh, I was like, I was young and um, I remember like first time coach, we had practice. Uh, and the way that he ran his practices is it would be like five whites, the rest were black. And like, let's say there was 10 minutes left in practice and coach turned you to white and there was a game the next day, like you were like, that meant you were starting. Whoever was like walking out with the white jerseys on, like at the end of practice and it was game day the next day, like those were your starters. So it was like a super competitive atmosphere all the time. And I remember he put me, he changed me to white for the first time and I was freaking out. Like I didn't, I was like nervous, we were going over plays. And of course I was the player who could never remember the plays as a freshman. So he, uh, he, he like, I had, I had messed up the play. He takes me to half court. He's like, look, I know you're nervous. I'm gonna tell you exactly what to do, like exactly where to go on th this next play. And I was like, all right. He tells me, we go back, he blows the whistle. I blow it, still don't remember the play. And I remember he threw his clipboard and uh, he like, he screamed at the top of his lungs and he said, Mama Coop, his mom was our assistant coach. She's like, Mama Coop, remind me to never recruit a fucking Canadian again. And I was like, I was like, all right. And uh, like, you would walk into that gym and he would be screaming at me all the time. Like you would just hear him at like going at me all the time. Like nothing I did was perfect. Like I was always messing up. I could never do anything right, but I worked hard. I outworked everyone in that gym and uh, an opportunity came and he told me and you know, like I've coached, I've coached guys and uh, I've said the same thing to them now. And he said, you know, whether you're going to get two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, like just give your all in the, like the time that you get, the opportunity that you get on the court. And I did, uh, one of my teammates tore their ACL. Um, my, op my opportunity came, uh, and I was playing, like I was starting by after Christmas. I remember I came home for Christmas and I don't know what happened. I just, I remember I came back, we played South Suburban, uh, in Chicago and like I had 17 at half I finished with like 29 points at the end of the game and then from there it was just it, it just kind of I don't know what it was it was just after that I just went off I was playing great I was ranked in the country um, I was kind of like in the talk of sophomores uh, for the upcoming season and so yeah so I stayed uh, after that I had a great season went to nationals and stuff like that um, I basically decided to stay for the summer um, and take summer classes so I could train and get ready. And I actually ended up having um, an offer from, that's crazy, I never, never told anyone, but uh, early on in the summer, I was getting recruited by San Diego State. And so that was like, that was the first D1 that was talking to me, um, that had offered me or whatever going into my sophomore year. And so in my mind, I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Like, this is where I want to go. Uh, flunked all of my classes in the summertime. I had three classes and I, and I didn't, not no, not no C, not no, not no D, like an F, like failed. 
And I just, I didn't know how to prioritize my time at 17. I just like, I had a boyfriend, uh, I was hooping and school was never a priority. And I, I just kind of had the mindset in high school that if I wasn't good at basketball, no one was going to recruit me. And I forgot and ignored the, well, you need good grades to get into college. So it, it definitely bit me in the ass because I, yeah, didn't know how to prioritize my time, got caught up with the boy, um, wasn't doing my classes. And so D2 JUCOs don't offer full rides to uh, international students. So my, my parents were paying half of the tuition for me to be out there. And once I flunked the courses, my dad was like, I'm not going to let you um, waste my hard-earned money while you're going to go BS around with a boy. You know, like, that's not what we signed up for. That's not why you're here. And so I kind of felt like I felt like I had it all. Let it slip away. Like, everything I wanted. Like, I had everything that I wanted, everything that I wanted to do, like, the dream, what I worked for. I literally had it. All I had to do was stay focused and work hard and so they actually made me sit out so I sat out a year um, and then made the decision to not go back to LMC I didn't want to get thrown in the fire with like personal things that were going on and stuff and uh, I ended up getting a better offer I got a full ride to South Georgia Tech and they were a D1 Juco and had a really good program um, the year before I was there, they had like seven sophomores. They all went high major D1. Um, and so I was like, that's where I wanted to go. And so I went there. Uh, mind you, I went, um, but I was out of shape. Like I wasn't doing anything for like for a year. I was mad at the world. My parents, I felt like my dad took away, uh, everything from me. I was like, and so I basically just, yeah, I sat out, was kind of just dicking around, not doing anything. Uh, and then by March, I kind of realized, like, my dad sat me down and was like, what are you doing with your life? Like, are you pooping? Are you not? Like, what are you, like, where are you going? Because I wasn't really doing anything. And, uh, yeah, so I sat out and went to South Georgia Tech. Mm, South GA. This is your first time probably in the in the southern part of the United States and Georgia is one hell of a place to start. It's Oh my god, the experiences. Yeah, the culture is very, very rich. So you get to South Georgia Tech. They have 71 girls a year before. What does the upcoming class look like for you? And then obviously you're going in there to try to play your one year, then go D1. So talk about that year a little bit and how it how it all unfolded. Um I I was super excited. I had uh, walked in with a big role. Um, there was one returning player. Uh, her name was Deja. She ended up, she went to Norfolk State afterwards. And then we had a, a D1 transfer from Evansville um, who came in, uh, Millie. And then uh, we had like another uh, sophomore uh, D1 Juco transfer. Uh, from the conference who was coming to play well, actually we had two from the same school who came to play and so we have five there was five of us five sophomores um, and the rest were freshmen so they were all brand new everyone was new minus one player and um, the expectation was when I got there was to like be a leader um, I was supposed to basically come in uh be a shooter, be a scorer and things like that. And I got there and again, I sat out a year and I, I didn't use my time wisely. 
uh, I wasn't hooping, I wasn't in shape, I uh, wasn't prepared to be there. And so I got there and just like was a power struggle the entire time I was there. Uh, get there, um, get injured early on, uh, come back, season's already started, uh, injured again, um, ended up tearing my quad. And so I didn't really play. Like, I didn't see, I wasn't getting any PT. I wasn't really playing. Um, and I basically, I was a flop, I think. And it was an experience where I had a great relationship with the coach, like the entire summer leading up to going. Um, he actually had, the mo when I had left LMC, he had recruited me to immediate immediately play like I left LMC in August and he was calling me like I want you to come right now we've got a full ride scholarship for you and I sat out the year um just because my family wasn't going to support me so there was no way for me of getting out there so I sat out the year he brings me back the, like the coming year after I sit out and I just yeah like I was basically a flop I was supposed to do a lot of big things and I didn't come prepared and it, it bit me in the ass because I was out of shape. I got injured, season started, people were filling roles that I was supposed to be a part of. And I basically was a player, I would say, who like, I got put on the back burner. Um, you know, I think once he realized like, okay, like she's injured, I kept getting injured. And then I had a major injury. There was really like, no use for me I wasn't going to be able to to do my job and and he was he was a coach who was really big on like first week we were there he he sat us all down individually and was like look uh you're being paid to be here so if you don't do your job I don't have a problem with sending you home and so I it was a good experience for me in the sense that um I had to I definitely learned how to understand roles and appreciate like role players and just like the older you get in the college scene and stuff and the closer you get to I, I feel like you know going overseas or just whatever it is that you want to do I was like okay you know I'm not I'm not playing now like I can't play so now I'm going to just be the best teammate that I can be and that was tough for me because I don't think anyone plays a sport envisioning like not playing in a game and so that was tough because I was pretty selfish. You know, I, I went there with one goal and um, walked out with a completely different experience. So, wow, yeah, that's that's it's a lot to handle your first two years. There's so much, so many things going on. Two different coaches, two different states, two different leagues, two different plans. But um, before we move on to the next question, Dan, do you want to throw anything out there that you want to ask her? Man, I'm just dissecting. That's a, that's a lot to take in, man. Um, I'm just no, like I don't have anything to add. I'm just kind of dissecting right now, dude. That's that's a lot of stuff, man. Um, yeah. I just want to ask, what was for you the biggest difference making that jump from a Canadian? way of growing up playing basketball to like that like American way like what was the difference like that you noticed like was it just athleticism was it the, the mindset like what was it exactly oh my god uh I athleticism mindset mentality the culture it, you know like growing up in Canada it's not necessarily instilled from a young age like you know like you go to the states and like out the womb these kids are 
basically just taught like a certain a certain way like a certain mindset like in america you you i went to america and was like the amount of money the amount of time the amount of like it's a sports are serious whereas in canada i feel like um from a college perspective my example would be like so in new sport uh with like there would be no games in November or December because we would just have practices because they wanted the athletes to focus on uh like midterms or like finals like before the semester was over whereas like the academics and I mean as well too there's no such thing as a full-ride scholarship in Canada like you can't get a full-ride scholarship for being a great athlete but like you could dang near get a full-ride scholarship by being like a student so in that sense um i just don't think the like level of seriousness in canada like the culture canadian sports uh especially with basketball like you know like you look at hockey and things like that and like that's canada's culture for sure um but like basketball wise no i i went to america and was like like people, this is not a joke. Like this is people's jobs. Like teammates that I had, you know, they, they used to, when I was in Georgia, I had teammates who like the mindset was, they would tell me all the time, like they're out here trying to get it out the mud. Like that, that was the mindset. And I was like, get it out the mud. Like, I don't even know what that means, you know, <laughs> at the time. And so, yeah, I, it was, it's completely different. Like, I mean, I'm being American coming to Canada. Like, what is that like when you when you guys have grown up being raised the way that you were raised in the sports world? And then, like, do you come to Canada thinking that you guys were going to get that same experience? I did. Me personally, I did, because my only envision of college basketball was what I've seen on TV and what I've known. And I know people that played and it was competitive. So when I got here, I'm like, shit, I may not get no real clock. I'm just trying to be the best freshman or first year as they say on the team and then hopefully I get into good graces and maybe I'm the first one off the bench but then I get here in the first two three days of practice I'm like they don't even understand how to play help defense or talk all right and then I'm going to workouts and people are not even like they're really tapping out on their own coach is having to scream at them just to give them effort I'm like yo this is not what I come from like it was completely different like you said but Seeing it the other way, I don't know how it would be because in high school, I was so competitive for us, right? Like, yeah, we were held to a very high standard. So, yeah, I can see why you felt like that. It's a complete culture shock. Well, again, like I said, like it, it, it was just a rude awakening because I didn't think like that it could get any better or like it, it could get any harder than like what I had to do to, to get there or like to get to the state. So then once I actually got there, I was like, like so, and, and and again, like going the JUCO route is just so underrated. Like I would tell anyone to to experience it. Like if you want to play basketball in America, go experience it that way. Like unless unless you're gonna like a top ranked, like you're ESPN ranked in the country, and you're automatically going D one and going to the league. Like I feel like when I when I was going into JUCO, JUCO wasn't sought out to be like a great thing or like a great experience it was kind of like I don't know but whereas like I look I look now and I see like there's like you look at JUCO's like top ranked players like coming out of JUCO and part of me also thinks that 
I don't know. I feel like colleges now more than ever kind of are recruiting more JUCO players, like well-seasoned, like matured athletes than they are like young 17, 18 year old kids out of high school. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it depends. Cause there's, there's so many JUCOs. There's really, really good JUCOs that are organized and they're going to play team ball no matter what the talent is. And then there's other JUCOs where it's like, we get two or three really, really good people and they're just the guys and everyone else, you know, you better get in where you fit in. So I really feel like it depends on fit too, like where you go. Cause some, ju- some JUCOs in Texas, they're bad. Like it's just unorganized. There's not well ran. And I yeah. know people that were in it. So like, I really think it's about the situation and it's different state to state. Right. So. Yeah. But, it is, um, it's interesting too. Cause I remember the, uh, so I obviously kind of adapted to the American mindset, like the culture of being like a hooper in America, like again, playing in, I mean, Michigan compared to Georgia, completely different. Like I, I was pretty naive in the sense that I transferred to Georgia and I was like, I'm going to have the same experience. Like, not even just, like, from a basketball standpoint, but just, like, being a person living in the state of Michigan. So when I got to the state of Georgia, I was like, oh, so states are just basically, each state is its own world. Because I was not prepared for, like, if we're going to talk about everything that's going on in the world right now, Um, I had no idea of the racial tension, like police brutality, all those things that were going on, um, that are going on now, were going on then. And for me to, you know, it's one thing for us to see it on TV and stuff. And, you know, it's kind of this thing where it's like, you watch, you acknowledge it, but it's not subject to me. So I go on about my life. And then like, but to actually like be in situations with team, I was the only white person on my team, um, had a great experience with my team. Um, but to be in certain experiences with, with my teammates and, and friends, I just was like, could not believe that like, this is the world that we live in. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's why I think your story is so unique because you live in two very different parts of the United States. Yeah. Like, completely different contrast. Totally. So let's go back to the hoop stuff. So you messed up your quad at South Georgia Tech. Y'all finish out the year. I would y'all make the tournament. We did. We uh, we finished the year thirty three and three. Um, again, we had like we had a great team, like just like great program, but like we had a great team that year, um, and like a super close, like a close knit team for the most part. Like, especially, like, from the sophomores, like, the five of us, like, we still, we all talk to this day in, like, a group chat, but, like, we had a really good connection, and uh, so we go, we go to nationals, and um, we, we lose in the Sweet 16, we play um, Odessa College, um, and, like, these girls were big, like, six two point guard, like, their starting five was not under 5'11", like, they were huge. And uh, yeah, so we know we lost, uh, we lost at nationals. So from that point on, all right, you're, you're injured at the end of the season, correct? Yeah. How do you go to the, like what linked you to the OUA and then talk about what happened when you got there? So I was getting recruited um, by some D2 schools, but in my head, I just had the mindset to like, 
it was D1 or like basically D none. Like if I'm not going D1, then like I wasn't, like I just put like NCAA division one on such a high pedestal growing up that it was like, it was either that or nothing. And so once that like, wasn't going to be a thing for me anymore, I was getting recruited by some, some D2s and uh, I was injured. Um, and so I kind of felt like if I stayed in America, I was going to have two years to play. And I knew I wasn't going to, like, I didn't know. I still had to rehab. Um, I was potentially, like, didn't know if I was going to have to get surgery, had to come home and figure all that out. And so I basically just came to this realization that, like, I had to give up, like, one of my goals to accomplish the bigger goal. And, and I didn't realize that to, like, the end of the season. And basically for me – I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Canada. I, I wanted to go to Canada. And I mean, again, like there was lots going on. Like Donald Trump had just gotten elected and there was lots going on in America at the time. And so it, like being in Canada just kind of seemed like a better position for the long-term goals. And so, cause I, again, if I stayed, I was probably not going to get a lot of PT um, like coming into what, whatever program I ended up going to. And then I was going to have to bank everything off of a senior season. And so I did, there was like a lot of uncertainty in that. So I was like, I'm going to go back to Canada. I get an extra year of eligibility. Who doesn't want to play three years of college ball instead of two? And so I went and I, I made uh, the biggest mistake because I knew the OUA at the time was – in my eyes, the like one of the most, if not the most competitive conference in the country. Um, and so I was like, if I'm going to go to Canada, I want to play like in the best place. And I took a visit to Brock University, um, committed to Brock. But prior to my visit at Brock, I actually took a visit to um, Algoma University. And like, they were a rebuilding program, like shitty program. And I like, basically I was coming off of an injury. Like I was coming off of rehabbing. Like this was going to be the first time I was going to run up and down was like on these trips where I was getting uh, recruited. And so my dad was like, you know, it's a shitty program. You like the coach, but how about you just go like use that as a warm up? like go run up and down, see how it is. And then I was going to, uh, take visits to the other schools that I went to. And so they were my first visit. Uh, had a cool experience again, really liked the coach. Um, visited Brock, was kind of iffy with the coach, but they had a really good program. So I committed and then instantly was like, actually, I think I want to go. I think for me, for the first time ever, I've always played on programs with players who were better than me. And that's how I elevated my game. Like, that's how I became as good as I got was because, like, people were pushing me to be better. Like, so going to Brock made me nervous because, I, again, like, I was out of shape. I was coming off of an injury. I've never been injured in my life. It was super intimidating to me to have to go to that program. And so... I think I, I opted out and I went to Algoma because they didn't have a good program. I felt like I could go instantly make an impact on the team. 
Um, I just wanted to be that guy on the team. Basically in my eyes, I was like, it didn't, for me, it, it no longer became about the team. And I've always been a team player. It's always been about like being a champion and winning championships. And I went with the mindset of, I'm just here to go overseas. Like as long as I can drop like 15, 20 points in the best conference in the country against like the best women's teams in Canada, like there's no way that I'm not going to be able to like go overseas. And that was the mindset. And then I got to Algoma, like they were like two and 17 the year before I got there, something like that, like awful. And I get there and basically I came to like, I had this realization of there's a difference between a hooper and someone who plays basketball. And I felt like I was playing on a team with girls who played basketball for the most part. Like there was a select few hoopers on that squad. And like, it was just like nonchalant. There was no culture there. Um, a coach with no coaching staff who realistically didn't care. I kind of felt like I got sold a dream. Um, and it was just kind of this thing of you're going to come and be this and do that. And like, it's going to be great. And I kind of fell for it. And then I got there and I was like, this is awful. Like, and for the first time in my life, like uh, a person, like one individual person was like slowly taking away, like something that I loved. Like you were literally making me not even enjoy the thing that like I love the most. And so I, ended up re-injuring my leg, get a concussion out for this, like, just like the injury thing, like haunted me after I left Georgia. And I was super depressed. Like I butted heads with, like with him all the time. And um, like, I can't stand the man. And uh, he, I remember I went to him. I went to him after my first year of being there. And, and uh, I was like, look, I don't know what you need me to do. Like, but I don't want to have another season like this for me. And I don't want to have another season like this for the team. So like, tell me what we got to do. And he was like, stay the summer. Uh, he knew, we both knew that we didn't have a good relationship. He was like, let's, let's work on our relationship and like get you to where you need to be and blah, blah, blah. And so I like put my trust in him, stayed the summer and uh, played two preseason games and I just knew that, like, it, was, it wasn't I – I couldn't do it anymore. Like, I couldn't be there. I couldn't be in the environment. It was sucking the life out of me. It just it – was, it was no longer good for me. So I, I left and had the craziest experience of my life because for the first time in my life, I sat here and was like, holy shit, I have no idea who Maddie Cameron is without basketball. Like, I literally, like, made this decision to leave, to quit the team in September. I quit the team. I stayed, finished my semester, and then I moved back to Alberta. And I was like, what am I supposed to do if I'm not hooping? Like, I, I just put so much pressure my whole life on, like, this is what I'm going to do. This is the goal, and I'm not going to stop till I get there. Like, I'm never going to give up no matter what I got to do to, like, get here to accomplish this. Like, I'm going to do it. And so... I was like super depressed. I was like, felt like I didn't have a purpose. I didn't know like what I was supposed to do and stuff. And so, yeah, wild. Yeah, that is, oh, I felt that like when I stopped playing, you get that feeling like, okay, my life isn't necessarily dedicated to hoop. I'm still a hoofer, but just right now I'm not hooping. So who, what am I going to do? What do I like? I don't even know what I like or dislike. And that figuring out process, it is very, 
depressing and it's hard to deal with. And I think every hooper is going to have to go through it unless you start thinking about it before you know you're going to be done. It's something you have to consciously think about and you really have to consider what, what's what and what's reality, what you like, what you don't like. And it's tough. And I advise hoopers that know they're not going to hoop for a certain pass, pass at a certain time to start thinking about it and invest more in yourself and figuring out and becoming more aware of who and what you want to be outside of basketball. I love basketball. My life is still centered around it, but I'm starting to develop other things around it because I needed it, right? But, okay, so you're done with the OUA. Now you already said that, you know, you're trying to figure out the situation with UofL. What else is, what else is on the horizon for Maddie Cameron? What else? Yeah, what I think, honestly, like, if I kind of look back on everything, like how, how everything's kind of panned out for me, I really don't know if I would actually change anything. Like, you know, like people say, like, you don't ever want to live a life of like, what ifs, but like, sometimes I do sit here and think like, you know, like, what, what if I didn't get injured and I did go D1? Like, what, like, what would, what would my life have looked like had it all panned out the way that I had it planned out for myself? And and then I kind of sit and I think of like, blessings that I have in my life or experiences um, that I have or just kind of where I'm at, like personally, mentally, all those things. I'm kind of like, you know what? I, I don't know if I would change anything. I, when I came back here, I got a job at a middle school and uh, I coached varsity guys basketball. And it was probably like one of the best experiences that I've had. Um, you know, I, I came in, uh with little to no respect from these boys you know you have a a female walk into the gym and they're like this is the coach like does she even know what she like does she know what she's talking about and so it was kind of a cool experience to be on the other side and not be a player anymore and and coach these guys and kind of at the time of when I was coaching and I was my mindset was still at that time like I'm gonna go back I want to finish um, like I'm just going to sit this year out. And so when I went, uh, and was working for the school and like coaching guys, um, it was really cool to like kind of evolve in, into a coach, but kind of more into a person. Like I kind of felt like I became a mentor, um, gained a lot of respect, built a lot of relationships with these guys who it was kind of like in full circle to sit here and have conversations with these kids talk about like the same things that I used to talk about when I was their age and kind of like have this information and these tools to like guide them and just like really want them to like get there the the way that that I like other than my dad like there wasn't a lot of people who were like Maddie Maddie can hoop like Maddie is capable of doing that like it was that wasn't a thing so for me uh just coaching what yeah coaching coaching was big for me like it's big for me now and it's made me kind of open my eyes and be like my whole life I had this mindset that like who I am as a person my basketball story and just hooping in general was going to be the tool that I used to inspire others like that was the only way like that was my calling in my mind I was like basketball is my calling and this is how I'm going to inspire people by my story and like my success with hooping and then being 23 now I've kind of come to this realization that like you know basketball is a tool yes but it's actually just like 
a piece to the puzzle to a bigger picture with things that I, that I want to do. And so, you know, like the older we get and, and the more you go through, go through things and grow through things, I feel like you kind of realize that there's as much as I hate to say it, like it just, I cringe every time I say it, but like it is more to life than basketball. And I think that's a realization, something that I, that's always going to be with me, a tool that I'm always going to use um, along my journey, whether, you know, I, I'm going to the U of L or like, I still want to play overseas or maybe it's something else. Like maybe I'm going to do something else who knows. Um, but it's definitely always a part of me. So yeah, coaching, um is something i'm super passionate about so yeah so before we get into the speed round i'll give you one more question what what's some advice you may give you know i don't want to say young hooper i want to be specific let's say a young female hooper from southern alberta or canada in general who has dreams of playing pro or maybe going d1 what are some, give me like two pieces of advice that you would say like this is something you really need to consider when you try to make it there or you go to the next level these are things you need to have in the back of your mind that's tough um the first thing that I, that I would tell uh anyone is basically like never give up like and as cliche as it is like as long as you believe in yourself and like you're motivated and you have the work ethic and you're going to work on your game, you're going to do whatever it takes to get there and not give up on yourself, despite what he says, she say, whatever circumstance you're in, like you'll get there. Like you can literally do anything you want in this world, whether it's hooping or not. Like you don't need anybody but yourself to get the job done. Like, again, create your own opportunities, like don't wait around. But as long as you just know that like, this is the goal and you believe that you can get there despite how many people tell you you can't get there you'll get there so that, i think that's the most important thing um and the second thing i would say is probably that's tough the second thing i would say that is important that that i would tell someone Dang, that's tough. Okay. <laughs> drop a drop a gem for us. We just something. You have a unique experience. You got something to offer. Just pick something that really sticks out in your mind. And like, damn, if I if I would have knew that or somebody would have gave me that information, it could have helped me. Or if I would have thought about that a little earlier, it could have helped me. You know what? I think I think the second thing I would say is uh um your attitude and your mindset towards the game means more than how good you are. Like Kevin Durant says all the time, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Well, I was never the most talented. Like you don't have to like, in everybody's eyes, like when the light's shining on you and you're the best player at that time, like that's all people see. But like for the people who like, you're not in that position, that it doesn't mean that you don't have a shot. Like I feel like as long as you have the mindset and the mentality of just like, again, like there's going to be a time where you're going to have to know your role. Like I've been the best player on a team. I've been a starter. I've been a sixth man. I've, I've sat on the bench. I've gotten in a game and only played two minutes. Like I know all the feelings. Like, so understanding basically just like having a good at, like attitude towards 
the process and just enjoy the process as well. Cause I, I think I was too focused on the end result that, uh, I, I didn't really enjoy the process as much as, um, I wish I would have. Yeah. I think that comes with age though, really understanding that it isn't really the destination. It is the journey. When you look back, like you think about the championship, but you talk about the season and the moments in between more. So value that time. Don't just think of it as like another day or it's like, I can't wait to get to this game or that. Like, yeah, obviously as a Hooper, you're always excited for the big moment. But when you look back, yeah, we won a championship, but you remember when he did that, you remember this practice. So like just really yeah. enjoy all of it and enjoy the process and focus on the process. Right, right. Would you want to chip in, Dan? Because I know you're, you're heavy on the, trying to give advice to the younger generation. Yeah, no, I just – I just want to ask, would you say you're more of a person that believes that you're in control of what happens to you or you, or you think it's externally, it's just going to happen to you no matter what? Yeah, I, honestly, I'm a little bit of both. I feel like, I mean, I'm a believer of God, so I feel like God has a plan for every choice you make. So, like, I feel like I get to control, like, I have full control over myself. So, like, I, I get to make the decisions as to, like, again like I decided where I went to college had I gone to a different college a different like that would have brought itself a different experience so I don't know I feel like you have the agency to control like how you feel what you decide to do in your life um but with every choice I think comes like a consequence or a blessing right so I'm I'm kind of split between the middle for sure yeah 100 percent. I think it's just I'm a little bit of both too. I'm a big believer of God and I just believe, you know, you have to be prepared for whatever opportunity he puts in front of you. And I feel like there's so many people like, you know, it's, it's funny to hear your story because you say you've had moments where you had this opportunity waiting for you, but you didn't get prepared. So you kind of blew that opportunity. And now you're getting ready for that next opportunity, whatever that is exactly. And I go home, I, I, I I'm up here. I see so many people, you know, they graduate, they're just kind of sitting on their ass waiting for a contract. I'm like, that's not how that works in any way, shape or form. Like, yeah, you can, you can pray, you can do, reach out to people, whatever it's not, but you have to be, be ready to receive that opportunity when it comes to you. And I, I, you know, it's, it's really dope to see, like, like just hearing your story, I, I can hear that growth that you went through. So I feel like that's really cool because there's so many people that are still, that still act entitled just because they did this, this or that, they think that they're entitled to, you know, whatever it is they want. And so I feel like mm -hmm. that, that maturity is such a key element that all of us need to grasp in, in order to really achieve what, what it is that we're, we're going for. So I, I just want to commend you on that. And I just feel like that's something really important to, for everyone to pick up on. Definitely. Yeah. I, you know what, I just feel like, you know, like you look at us three and, and like, we both, we've all, we've all had our own experiences. Like we've all been college hoopers and I just really feel like inspired and obligated at 23 to sit here and make sure that like the younger generation doesn't make the same, you know, and not that they don't because they will, you know, like how many times did we get told not to do something because like the person's already been through the thing and fucked up and then we're over here and we heard them, but we still choose to like, you know, like there's certain things in life that we got to go through. But like my biggest thing to like kids in this generation is just 
our age, younger, anybody. Like I tell, like one thing that I live by, like that I've learned through everything is what's required is doing the unrequired. Like you can't sit here and just show up to practice and think that you're going to be the best or think that that's going to be enough. Like you literally have to dedicate like and sacrifice. Like it's so much more than that. Like, and again, whether it's hooping or whether it's something completely different, like you can't just like go with the go with the motion like you have to do more and so and like that's literally the minimum i feel like in this generation it's like you got to do more you got to do more than everybody else in order in order to accomplish great things so no i agree and when you say do more i want to expand my opinion on that yeah i think kids nowadays they're kind of like crippled by that because then they tell you well how do i do more I don't know how to do more. I need a trainer. Everybody's got a trainer, trainer. I need this. I need that. I'm just like, this generation has access to the most information of any other generation. Ask. You don't know how to do something. Ask. Not only do you ask, watch videos. There's people that have done things that you want to do. Look at their process. Obviously it won't be the same, but then you start picking and choosing what you can take and add to your story. Like right. there's plenty of resources that you can go look at. Okay, this is, he did that at this age. This, he did that. He went there. He took this visit. He didn't take this visit. He didn't look at them because of that. Like just try to learn as much as you can and stop waiting for someone to give you the information, right? No one's yeah, going to give it to you. You have yeah. to seek it out all the time, right? That's, that's what, that's to add on to what both of you guys said. That's what I would tell you. Just be, do more, but be active in it. People are not going to give you, like I tell people when they want to train, people are like, I want to train. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to ask you to train. My trainer didn't come to me. I went to him because I needed him. I don't, they don't need me. I need them. Right. So it's the same thing. You need to be on it and be aggressive in pursuing what you really want to pursue. If that's what you want. Right. So, but yeah, to end on that, let's hop into this speed round, get a little more personal, some fun stuff, and then we'll let you go. All right. So first, this is not even on the speed round, but I'm curious for you. What was like, what's one of your, your, your favorite moments that stick out of your entire basketball career? Like it could be a game. You did this, a game winner or a, a moment at a tournament or something, just something that really sticks out to like, man, I really look back and I enjoyed that. That's one of my better moments as a hooper. Uh, Probably, like, it will probably be that game that I said earlier on. Like, I, I my freshman year, just com coming back from Christmas and playing that first game and just, like, going off. Like, I went nine for 11 from the three. Like, I went seven in a row before I missed my first one. And, like, it was just, like, it was a crazy game. And literally just, like, from that moment on, like, I was, like, 23, 20-point games. Like, I was just – going off so like the feeling stays with me all the like them anytime I think about it I'm just like that was like my turning point in my career from being a kid from southern Alberta to like being like a good player in America so he was on one all right so obviously you're a hooper so I'm assuming you you're aware of the hoop world at least the WME and the NBA so who's your favorite WNBA hooper and then your favorite NBA hooper? All right. Well, without hesitation, WNBA has to be Diana, Diana Taurasi. Like, Bucket. love Diana Taurasi. Like, she's really goaded now. She, 
I remember, I remember watching her like when I was younger and and when I was younger, I was, I didn't really like women's basketball wasn't really like a thing to me. Like even now, like I I would much rather prefer to like coach guys than I would to coach girls. So, but I remember just like, she was the only one that like stood out to me and yeah. So Diana Taurasi for sure. And, like, I'm going to give you my top three for NBA because I can't just give you one. All right. <laughs> so, like, obviously, Allen Iverson and Kobe, like, has to. AI, all-time favorite. Kobe, favorite player. And then Steph Curry. Like, and I love Steph because I just, like, followed his story. Like, I remember him at Davidson. And then, like, you know, it wasn't like he got to the league and was, like, Steph Curry, you know? Like, and I feel like people who who don't know his story just kind of think that like Steph's always been Steph but that wasn't the case so those are those are my my three favorite all-time to current players yeah you can't argue with those three especially AI and Kobe I'm an AI guy myself so I can't can't be mad at that nope so um you have an interesting story so I'm very curious to see who are some of your top music artists right now? I feel like you've been exposed to multiple cultures and environments. So, like, give me some of your top artists, and then what's some of your pregame music like? What's in the headphones for Maddie K? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, music is important because I feel like music can – music tells you a lot about a person, like who you listen to. So I'll give you my top five. So J. Cole, number one, always. Like, J. Cole's always in the mix. Lil Wayne. Go. Of course. Wale, so underrated, but like I love Wale. Wale, oh my goodness. Yes. Like mixtape Wale, totally different. Um, and then I'm gonna have to go with Drake, obviously. Uh, and then I'm gonna put Meek Mill in there. Hmm. That's a very unique five. Thank you. Very unique. Okay, so what about like pregame? Obviously, everybody probably has a playlist. You throw it on shuffle. But is there like one or two artists or maybe like a song that's like, okay, I got to hear that at least one time on rotation? You know, call me weird if you want, but like I don't listen to music before a game. I've always been uh, like a, a motivational speech person. Like I'll really throw on like, you know, like I'd go on to YouTube. Like I have a whole playlist of like what I would have listened to before a game. And it, it's just all like Les Brown, Eric Thomas, um, just like mashups of motivational speeches. So. Oh, that's fair. I mean, I couldn't do it. I've done that too. I yeah. read my books, but I need, you know, I need some music. You know, when I hit the stretching, I gotta get I swear I tried, you know, like I tried to like really like turn myself up. I, one of my, I mean, like My Life by Meek Mill, that that would be in the playlist, I guess. Uh, but like, I don't know. I just, I don't, not music before a game. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was trying to listen to like G Herbo and stuff. Like when I was in Michigan, everyone was listening to G Herbo before the game. So I'm trying to like turn up to some G Herbo and I just couldn't do it. So. Yeah. No, I think it's. I don't know if people realize the impact music has. Like for me, I listen to turn up stuff like maybe an hour before the game, but as it gets closer to the game, it's more like melodic or maybe maybe even R&B just to level me out. 
because I realized sometimes I listen to something that really got me up and then I play like that and that's not how I play best. I got to be even killed. So I can get why music may, people don't understand the influence it really has. So you listen to the motivational speech, that kind of like, it probably triggers your brain and you're just, yeah, I can, I, that makes sense to me. Like there's more hype ones. Like there's some like, you know, with the beans, like it's, they be, look, the motivational speeches go crazy. Y'all need to get hit. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I feel that. It makes sense. Okay. What's something most people don't know about you? Like a hidden talent or a hobby or something you're into that most people probably wouldn't know. Okay. So you know a bit about this, Mike, but I would say my hidden talent is just like, I really enjoy making music. Okay. Like I'll write songs. I sing a little bit. So, you know, we need to get in the studio and get a little session going. No, 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 no. Stop. I'm going to send you some some, uh, some of my things. Just ask Mike. I'm decent. Yeah. I'm decent. No, no, it was good. It was good. Go ahead. You could drop your little, if you got it out on SoundCloud, you could drop it on the podcast. We'll give you a little, little publicity. <laughs> I'm going to wait. Look, I, crazy because I'm actually going tomorrow to Calgary Good talk to men's at a studio and we're gonna, you know, make I, I really wanna make some of the stuff that I've been doing come to life. So we'll okay. save that for another one. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Last two questions. Um, I know you're big in the shoes and I know you lived you lived in Georgia, you lived in Michigan, so I know you're hip to, you know, the American swag. Not saying Alberta is the bad, but it ain't America. Um, what? <laughs> but so give us some of your top you know, well, everybody's a Nike Jordan person. So give me some of your just top three favorite shoes or just some shoes that's like, man, I need, when those drop, I need those. Uh, I'm still in the retro world. Like I have over 151 pairs. Like, so I'm going to give you my top three favorite retros, but I, I will say this, like Nike's on a come up. Like Nike has some like they've been up. They can't come up. I don't up. know, but like in the past like couple of years, they've like dropped some some different stuff. You know that Jordan is Nike, right? So I'm, I'm just no. It it is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. Like Jordan, yes yeah. and no. Facts. Jordan is completely different. Like you can't sit here. Like when you get Jordans, do you say like I went? I went without Nike. Doesn't exist without Nike. Like that's all. Exactly, but you don't go to the like, yeah, it's different, bro. It's just different, like, it's different, yeah. different. whatever. Anyways, I'll give you my three, I'll give you my top three retros just by number because, like, the colorways and everything's mm, okay. So, I'm gonna go ahead and say fours, of course, for sure. Like, I love fours, gotta put 11s in there because, like, I love 11s, and then. I love 14s, but like, I'm gonna say 12s mm. or 11, 12s. But I love 14s, and ones are a classic. But I can't put ones in there because I feel like, like everyone, everyone loves ones. So like that's just a given. I don't even need to put that in my top three. It's, ba it's basics, what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so what about? Okay, I'm curious. What's your favorite pair of 12s? Because I have my favorite pair of 12s. I'm curious to see what yours is. Blue game. Oh, all right. All right. All right. What's yours? Taxis. Yeah, taxis, OVOs, whatever. The taxis are hard. Crazy. You know, I'm really disappointed, though, because I feel like Jordan really hasn't dropped any, like, 
heat. Like, there's not really anything coming out or that has been, co- like. No. The, well, the, the, the culture's Russell completely changed. The, the, they stopped making CPs. They stopped making mellows. Like, Man, I remember, I remember I had CP3s. My senior year when I was at Chinook, I had a pair of, like, the black and gold CP3s. And then I had, like, I had, a, like, a pair for every, every jersey. Like, those CP3s were lit. Bro, I was always buying CP3s. I had the Christmas ones with like the mismatched laces. I had like, I had all the CP3s. I still have some that I hoop in right now just because. Okay, I, I have a question for y'all then. What is your favorite shoe to hoop in? All time? All time. Oh, you go first, Dan. I got two or three. I could throw Ooh, Me? I got oh, two. Dan, Dan, go first. I got two or three too. I mean, I would say, man, Kobe. Kobe fives and Kobe eights treated me. Ooh, the Kobe eights are my favorite. Um, I'm trying to think, what else have I just loved? These Greek freak ones that I got, like, were actually amazing. I got them last year. They're just so comfortable. And then, really, I'm trying to think, like, because I used to hoop. Like when I was really young, I used to hoop in, in retros a lot. It was kind of gross. It hurt. It probably bad for my feet. But the, those Paul George ones were, were super comfortable, too. Man, like, just, yeah. Like, Nike's undefeated for hoop shoes, bro. <laughs> Ooh, so, for me, for me, I got to go Kobe 6, Snake Skate Johns. Penny um, ones. So comfortable, and then PG ones. Those are my three that it's like I'll hoop it up for my like life. Paul George's, like the, the ones. Wait, what was the one you said? Michael was the second one you said. The flight ones, the Air Penny ones. Oh, pennies! <laughs> pennies are actually crazy, bro. Y'all ever hooped in some ho- some some homes? Y'all ever hooped in some foams? I, yeah, it's terrible. It's fucking awful. Of my life. It's terrible. They're so – they hurt my feet. The I ever hooped in was a 14. I got – I had zero points. Halftime, like zero points, maybe like four turnovers. I was like, I'm taking these bitches off. Like, they're not <laughs> I, tried in, I tried playing in some threes. That, oh, no. I feel like I was playing in skate shoes. And then I tried playing in like those Jordan Futures, like the nylon thing. Oh, yeah. I almost rolled in ankles so bad on that. <laughs> Like really anything ten and up, you can rock. Like I can hoop. I hooped in tens, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, twenty-one. You can hoop in like sixes and seven. I can't. I can't because the bot the bottom is like is no arch support. It's not really. Yeah, that's before technology really hit kicks. I can't. I mean, yeah, you're right. Tens, eleven, twelve. Yeah, like you can ten hoop. and up. Like yeah. But shoot, okay. The last question is, I'm curious to see what are some of your favorites food spots in america places you were like man that shit was on a thousand and i need it if i ever go back there popeyes like but what louisiana nowhere else like bojangles bojangles is nice is better than popeyes but she you haven't been to popeyes in louisiana though uh what's that uh whataburger Yes! I, yes! I fucking love Whataburger. What's that sandwich? The uh, honey, 
Oh, you talk about the uh the honey chicken biscuit sandwich. Ooh, that shit goes crazy. It's overrated. You just ain't had it because it's weak out in AZ. That's all it is. Weak out there. I've had it. I've, I've had it. It's I sick. feel like like I've I've been to Arizona. Like I'll go to Scottsdale with my family, and I just feel like they just like AZ just kind of has some regular ass plate. Like I don't know. <laughs> Listen, we're gonna have to cut this episode from the season, but. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh. We keep it a thousand on the Driver King podcast, man. Oh my god! But yeah, shoot. Um, that sums it up for me. Dan, you want to add anything else before we close the episode out? No, nah, man. I just want to thank our guest, Maddie. Thank you for coming on. That, that's a crazy story if I've ever heard one, man. And I'm excited to see where it keeps taking you. But I, I appreciate you. I appreciate appreciate the insight you've given us, and just appreciate you giving you giving us your time. So thank you. That's- no, it was cool to to chop it up with y'all for a little bit. No, yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule and for sharing your story. You know, some people don't may not feel comfortable sharing their story, and I think you shared it in a way that people can learn from and people are going to be interested in listening to. So, again, thank you for me and Dan for coming on the show. And maybe we can get you when your situation changes. We can get you on a later later season, and we can chop it up again. And, Definitely you know, update people on what's happening. Facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's it. I'm Mike. I'm Dan. This is our no. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, Dan. I'm Mike. That's Dan. <laughs> our guest Maddie was in the building today. That's it for episode six of the Driving Kick podcast. Episode seven next week. It's the end of season one. And for me, that's a wrap. Yes, sir. We are out. Well, play me like Nintendo. No, my donkey keep extendos. Come knocking at your windows. Not stack up until it trip.